you know, that you have uh, in a small church, pastor's wife sing and then him come preach, but I still love to hear her sing. <laughs> so thanks, Karen. Thank you, Samara and Jeff and the worship team. Merry Christmas, y'all. Welcome as we celebrate the Savior together. Uh, over the past few weeks, we have been looking together at some of the uh, major aspects of the coming of Jesus the Messiah and how he fulfilled Old Testament predictions and expectations because he was and is the greater prophet uh, like Moses, the greater priest like Melchizedek, the greater king like David. And this morning we're going to see how Jesus is the greater and better man like you and me. And by way of showing you that, I hope you all brought your seatbelt, uh, because we're going to look from Genesis 1 to Revelation chapter 22, first chapter of the Bible to the very last one, and we're going to cover creation, the fall, the incarnation, the cross, the new heavens, and the new earth, and do it all in about 40 minutes. Okay, <laughs> so hope you're ready. Uh, and since we're going to do that... Uh, uh, I hope you have your Bibles. There's not going to be a lot of introduction. Uh, we'll just start, okay? Uh, if you look at chapter, uh, we're going we're gonna to start first in Genesis, uh, first passage I'm going to read is Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 and following. But on your way to chapter 3, let me summarize chapter 1 and 2 for you. In the beginning, God existed and he made everything that exists, sun, moon, stars, uh, earth, heavens, water, birds, uh, creeping things, creatures, and human beings. And he made human beings in his image and made them perfectly in relationship with one another, in perfect environment for relationship with one another and with him. That's chapter 1 and 2. The entire world exists, even, in, even out into the outer reaches of, of the universe, exists in perfect harmony with God and, uh, and with itself. And then chapter 3 hits, and we see that Satan enters the garden as the serpent, and Adam and Eve uh, are, are first Eve is deceived into sin and rebellion against God, and then Adam makes a deliberate choice to follow his wife into sin. And uh, suddenly they're very aware that sin has entered into the garden, and they hide from God when they hear his voice. And that brings us all the way up to chapter 3, verse 14. God has confronted the man and the woman and the serpent, and then he pronounces curses on them. And this is how it starts. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you will bring forth children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain 
you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you will return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, since we're on a rocket ride a little bit this morning, I don't have time to go into all this in detail in the way I would like. Uh, If you want to get that detail, you can go to the website and you can download this message, uh, Genesis chapter 3. I did it earlier this year. Uh, But basically, let me summarize what the curse is about. The curse is about five separations that enter into human life. The first and worst of these is that man is separated from God. He experiences spiritual death. He receives a sin nature which cuts him off from God, and that is symbolized by the fact that God drives him out of the garden and will not let him taste of the tree of life lest he live forever in his sin. And God drives him out of his presence. And you see this also when God comes and he confronts Adam for the first time, and Adam hides, and God says, where are you? It isn't because Adam it isn't because God didn't know but because he wanted Adam to recognize what was going on. The second separation that you see is man's separation from himself. There is now guilt that has entered into human life. There's going to be sin and pain in childbearing. And shortly after this in Genesis you see you start to see psychological abnormality as people start to seek their love and significance apart from God. And then on top of that, just as God said would happen if they ate from the fruit that God commanded them not to eat, not because of the fruit, but because of the rebellion that the fruit represented. God said death is going to come, and that death did come, the separation of soul and body. And the third separation that enters in at the curse is the separation of man from fellow man. All of a sudden, whereas there had been harmony between the man and his wife, now there is disharmony, there is fighting, there is conflict, there is a fight for control. And that's going to work itself out not only from a family perspective, but then you're going to see it later, uh, brother versus brother, Cain versus Abel. Uh, The line of Cain will be devoted to fortresses and war. The seventh descendant from Adam in the line of Cain will say that he has killed a man for wounding him, and he he has murdered a young man for striking him. He's not even ashamed anymore. And then, of course, we see this on our world today as nation rises against nation and people group versus people group. Man is separated from his fellow man. Fourth, we see the separation in man versus nature. 
there's conflict between humans and the natural world, which you see uh, in enmity between the woman and the serpent, but also in the fact that nature pays a price for human sin, not just in the fact that it no longer willingly produces food for human beings, but that now has to come through sweat and toil, but also in the fact that animals have to die to cover over the shame for human beings and provide the sacrifice for human sin. Nature becomes set against humanity such that now there is a struggle for survival. And finally, you see that nature is separated from nature itself. And I'm not completely clear, no one really is, we weren't there, what was involved completely in the original perfection of creation. But what we do see is this, that God says, cursed is the ground because of you. And now thorns and thistles are brought forth. And I think we see this relationship of nature versus nature working itself out in the fact of predator animals versus prey animals. Things like disease and destructive storms and certainly thorns and thistles, these things were not part of the original creation, but are part of what Paul is referring to when he says in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 20, that the creation was subjected to frustration and put in bondage to decay. And as you look at human history, you see these five separations at work. In fact, I would say that ever since sin's entry into the world, every aspect of human existence, whether you're talking about science or healthcare or environmentalism or politics or philosophy or religion or social work or psychology, every field and discipline of human endeavor is devoted to overturning, to remedying, bringing healing to the staggering consequences that were brought into our world by the fall. And it's doing so, I think, by our own efforts. And quite simply, it is not and never will be possible. Or if you read any amount of great literature, whatever it is, what you will see is that one of these five separations forms the backdrop and the conflict around which the book is structured. As people fight against the consequences of the fall and their fallenness and living in a fallen world with other fallen people. And so you see a struggle against nature, against himself, against God, against fellow man, and even of nature fighting against nature. See, all of that enacted in the world's great literature and art and poetry. You see it in all of the efforts that we make to try and correct all the difficulties we have in this life. Staggering consequences were brought about by sin. And in the midst, though, of Genesis 3, in the midst of this pronouncement of judgment, there's this grace note that sounds. And it plays loud and clear for those who have ears to hear. And it's the promise of the seed of the woman. It's the promise from God of one particular human being. One man who will descend from this woman and this man, this fallen couple, 
who will bear the consequences of sin, who will be born, who will crush the serpent, who will reverse the curse, and though he will be struck by the serpent, will emerge victorious. And all the way down through thousands and thousands and thousands of years of human history, humanity waited for the fulfillment of that promise until one was born, not in the normal way, from the union of a man's seed and a woman's egg, but born as Genesis promises, the seed of a woman. And, we, and to see that, we need to go over to the Gospel of John. So we're going to finish your Old Testament, jump into the Gospel of John, chapter 1. You didn't think I could do this. Whole Bible in 40 minutes. Yeah, we'll see. All right. Here it is, John chapter 1, verse 14. Here's the fulfillment of that Genesis promise. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. As the cartoon goes, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown that the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh. That the God of the universe, the God who spoke creation into existence by His Word, remember? And God said, let there be light, and there was. And God said, let the land produce animals and creeping things. Let the sky be full of birds, and there were and then he said, let us make man in our image, and he did. That the power of God's word was at work in bringing these things about. And what the New Testament reveals to us is that God's word is not simply the, the, his verbal communication. It's his living communication. It comes to us through the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. And the second person of the Trinity, the Word of God, the one who carries out the Father's will and purpose, was born of a woman and became flesh, took on a human nature, fulfilled the promise of God, born of a virgin in a manger in Bethlehem, worshipped by shepherds and angels, wise men and tottering old prophetesses. His birth was announced by the stars, celebrated by a multitude of the heavenly hosts, but nevertheless went unnoticed by all but a few. Nonetheless, God kept his promise. The seed of the woman was born, and God himself walked among human beings in a way that we couldn't and have not since the days of the garden by becoming one of us. And remember... The woman's curse, in pain you will bring forth children, but it's by the bearing of children that redemption comes into the world. By the very pain that is the curse on human women, God uses that very pain to bring about redemption of the entire planet through one particular baby boy 
who was and is the Son of God. He became one of us. And Jesus Christ, who was perfect and born in a world already ruined by sin, remains sinless. Even though we were created perfect and put in a perfect world and fell into sin, Jesus was born perfect, put in a world already ruined, and yet remained perfect. Because we needed redemption. Now, let's get back a few pages to Matthew chapter 27. And you're going to see how redemption came. Verse 11, down through verse 61. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, You have said so. When he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. And then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they, they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered... So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what do I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? They shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand, and kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of his robe, and put on his own clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. And as they went out, they found a man of, of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. 
And when they sat down and kept watch over him there, and over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. Those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel, let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let's see if Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. And when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate, asked for the body of Jesus, and then Pilate ordered it be given to him. And Joseph took the body and laid it in clean linen, wrapped it in clean linen shroud, and laid it in his own tomb, which had been, he had cut in the rock, and he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. And as you look at this story, as you look at the cross, what you see is that Jesus indeed bears the curse for all of us. And we see him, and he hangs there bearing it all. Man was separated from God by sin, so when God poured out on the Son penalty that our sins had earned, a one-time and one-time only temporary separation occurred between God the Father and God the Son, such that there was catastrophic division within the Trinity where there had only ever been unity before. And as the price was paid for sin, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He who had never known separation from God took separation from God for you and for me. And thus, when he died, the veil was torn from top to bottom in the temple, symbolizing that the separation between man and God had come to an end. Because Jesus had borne sin's curse 
for you and me. And because man is separated from himself, enduring pain and death, so Jesus, the second sinless Adam, really died. His spirit was committed to the Father and was separated from his body. He died in suffering and pain in agony. And because man is made from dust, Jesus also was laid in the dust. So that as God told Adam, from dust you come and to dust you will return. Jesus was laid in the dust. Because man was separated from his fellow man, we see everyone turning away from Jesus. His brothers, his disciples, the nation that he came to redeem. Even a condemned thief on the cross next to him. All reject him. The entire nation stood in mockery against the one who came to redeem them. Man is separated from man. Jesus is stripped naked before God and men so that he might bear their shame. Instead of, as God covered the nakedness of Adam and Eve, man stripped God naked to bear their shame. And because man is separated from nature, Jesus was crowned with thorns that resulted from the curse. He was given bitter wine to drink, nailed to a cross made of a tree, the symbol of man's temptation and fall. And finally, because nature is divided against nature, at his death the sky darkened like night, an earthquake struck, rocks split open, and people against nature got up out of the tomb and walked around. God the Son bore every aspect, every aspect of the separation that resulted from the curse that God himself had pronounced. Every part of the judgment that he had placed on humanity for sin, Jesus, the Son of God, bore on our behalf. And because of that, the serpent was crushed, and redemption can come to humanity through the one who was and is the seed of the woman born on Christmas 2,000 years ago. And more than that, we also have the assurance that final redemption is going to come, that the curse will one day finally, completely, and totally be reversed. And I want to show you that. One last passage. Told you I'd take you to Revelation 22. Here we go. Revelation chapter 22. Last book in your Bible. Last chapter in your Bible. First five verses. Here's what John says. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and forever. Do you notice anything significant in that little brief five-verse description? Instead of being cut off from God's presence and driven out from Him, 
God Himself will dwell with us. Instead of being blocked from the tree of life, it's now given to us freely, giving forth 12 kinds of fruit every year and bearing fruit every month. And its leaves are for the healing of the nations. And I love this verse. There will, be, there will not be anything accursed anymore. The curse will be overturned. The world will be restored. And there will not even be any more night. Because God himself will give light to the city where we will live with him forever. We will belong to God as we were designed to be, as we were destined to be, as God made us to be. God will give us his light and his presence forever and forever, and we will reign as lords and ladies of the new heavens and the new earth forevermore, and creation will be finally and fully restored with no separations ever exist again. Everything will be restored and completed. Why? Because of Christmas 2,000 years ago and because of Easter a short while later when God himself, the God-man, the man like me, the man who came to live the life that I couldn't live, to die the death that I owed to God for my sin and for yours, he bore the entire curse himself that we could be restored to God. And I think I've kept my promise. Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Creation, fall, incarnation, new heavens, new earth, 40 minutes. How about it? Uh, but what are we to do with this message? What do we do with this? This is great news, but what do we do with it? Well, let me borrow some words from some carols that we've sang. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere, that Jesus, the Messiah, the man like me, has not only been born but crucified. The promise of a Savior has come for the whole world, and that promise has been kept the curse of sin and death and ultimate separation from God in hell has been paid, born on your behalf by the Savior, born in a manger, worshipped by angels, shepherds, wise men, Mary and Joseph. Amen. Go tell it on the mountain, over the fields and everywhere. The curse is reversed. The son is born. Sin is paid. For you and for me. And one day, as Karen sang, and I love this song, God is not dead and he does not sleep. The wrong will fail, the right will prevail, and one day there will be peace on earth. Goodwill to men. Just as we sing every Christmas, and the whole world needs to know. The whole world needs to know. So put the go in the gospel this Christmas. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, you are indeed the God who loves us. Though we were sinners, 
though we were rebels, though we were traitors, though we hated you, though we lifted up our fist against you and said, I don't want anything to do with you. Though we were cursed and marked for death and hell, though everything about your justice would justly condemn us there, though you justly pronounced the curse, you also announced right along with it the promise of a Redeemer, and you kept your word. Far better than any human being has ever kept a promise, you keep yours. And you sent not just a redeemer, but your own self to redeem us, to bear every aspect of the curse for us. Every separation that was brought into the world by our sin, you took it on yourself. Even separation within your own nature as God, you took so that we would not have to experience forever separation from you. And Father, we praise you. We celebrate the Christ who was born at Christmas, crucified at Easter. And Father, I pray that we would faithfully declare your message so that as your word tells us, people from every tribe and language, tongue and people would be surrounding the throne, giving glory to him who was born in Bethlehem. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.